All right, I think most of you know that this is Brother Adrian Dominguez that's going to be preaching for you today. What a, what a blessing it was last night, yeah? Wasn't that a great service we had? Great sermon. Those of you that have gone through Bible school, you've heard me say this before. Brother Adrian, he'll remember this. There's two things that make me want to preach. Good preaching. When, when I hear good preaching, it makes me want to preach. Something stirs in me. I say, man, that's good preaching. I want to get up and do some of that. And then there's another thing that makes me want to preach. Bad preaching. <laughs> you hear somebody stand up and just, it's a dud. It's bad. You think, man, sit down, let me get up, and I'll preach. So there's two things that make me want to preach. Good preaching, bad preaching. I can tell you now, man, I, I want to preach. Brother Adrian, come on, man. Deberían haberlo puesto en español. Should have put the instructions in Spanish, I would have understood. But I was talking with uh, Mojainj. Am I getting? I'm, I'm probably killing it now. I tried for Mojainj. Close. Okay. And she said, "Brother, just say Poch. Just say Poch." So uh, it's going to be here this morning. I'm going to ask you if you can turn with me to Second Timothy chapter number four. And I'll ask you to stand with me for just a moment. Second Timothy chapter number four. I'm enjoying the singing. I'm enjoying the fellowship. I'm enjoying the food. I think they may have to roll me back on the airplane. Because <laughs> everywhere I turn, there's food and more food. And it's all good. And let me just tell you this. I've been to, uh, I've been to a number of mission fairs. Uh, most of them in the United States, and I, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say this was by far the best missions fair I've ever been to in my life. Uh, that was that was excellent work, uh, very well done. Uh, everybody uh, studied up on the countries; they knew what they were talking about, um, and it was a lot of fun. Just a very good spirit, and I appreciate that. So thank you so much. Second uh, Timothy chapter number four. And I'm uh, going to read just a, a few verses here. Uh, look, if you would, at uh, verse number uh, 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heed to themselves teachers, having itching ears. Your pastors probably pointed this out to you before, uh, so this is not new, but isn't it interesting they don't heed to themselves preachers? They heed to themselves teachers, having itching ears. People don't like the, the preaching of the Word of God. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. 
I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is a left for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I don't think this is an a, uh, uh, unfamiliar passage for most of you. Most of you would know that this is about the Apostle Paul saying his goodbyes. It's his final goodbye. He knows he's about to die. And I, I would, I'd like to maybe just start this all off by saying, I think we could all agree that the Apostle Paul was a great Christian. Maybe one of the greatest. But uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Paul. But today's message is not really about Paul. I, I, I hope it'll be a blessing to you. Father, this morning, we thank you, Lord. This afternoon, uh, or whatever time zone I'm in right now, I don't even know. But, Lord, I just thank you that I'm here. And I thank you for these dear people. Lord, I thank you for their heart and for their singing and for their worship of you. And, and God, their desire to know you more. And their desire to be a part of worldwide missions. Lord, what a blessing that is. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, and just... Uh, give us an alertness of mind, the ability to put out distractions. And God, I pray you'd speak to every heart that's here. Lord, I, I assume that everybody here is saved. But if there's somebody here that does not know for sure that if they died right now, they would be in heaven. God, I pray that you would minister to them as well and that they might be saved today. Lord, we pray that your will would be done. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated if you would. Let me, let, let me say, I, I think it's safe for us to say that the Apostle Paul was, uh, we're talking about missions. I think it's safe to say the Apostle Paul was a great missionary, amen? And, and, and honestly, if, if we're honest, if you study history, what you know is that this church is the result of work of, 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 of work of many different people that have been involved. Thank God for Pastor Mike, but you trace that back and you go back to other men and back to other men and back to other men and it goes all the way back to the Apostle Paul. As a great missionary that went out, and think about this, guys, in three missionary trips, he affected the entire world. He writes 13 out of 27 of the books in your New Testament. That is, listen, you don't have to be a math major to know that's about 50%, amen? I'm not a math major, but I got that much math. All right, and, and here's what we can look at. We can see the Apostle Paul's effect on the church even to this day. Think about this. You've been taught well. You've been taught to rightly divide the Word of God. And by the way, that comes from the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy. You've been shown that by your pastor. You've been taught by your pastor of seven mysteries in the New Testament. Let me say this. Out of seven of those mysteries, six of them are not there if the Apostle Paul does not exist. God uses the Apostle Paul. You say, well, well preacher, God established a word from, from eternity past. I get that. But humanly speaking, God uses the instrument, the man, the Christian, the missionary, the Apostle Paul. And as we're talking about missions, it's really hard not to consider the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. You, you, can't, you, you can't separate missions from that man. Again, most of the, of the book of Acts, you'll find that you'll find most of it centers for the first half on Peter. But after that, from Acts 13 on, it's all about Paul. You say, why is that God is dealing, obviously, at the beginning of that with the nation of Israel and he transitions from dealing with them to dealing with the Gentiles? And here's the Apostle Paul, the minister, the apostle to the uncircumcision, to the Gentiles. 
and, and we can see the effect that he has on missions. He is an exceptional missionary. I would say he's an exceptional Christian. And I would say he's an exceptional author of the word of God that God gives him. Listen, I want you to understand, I, like your pastor, I believe that every word in that book is inspired by the Spirit of God. And, that, and what I'm about to say does not take away from it, but rather it complements it. God uses each individual author in a different way. And when you read the Apostle Paul's writings, it's very evident that he's a lawyer. He likes to break things down. He likes to break the case down and go, you know what? Uh, here's where you're coming from. Here's what society thinks. Here's what God says. And here's why it matters to you. He does that a lot. He's an exceptional author. What an amazing testimony. And you read those last words of the Apostle Paul and you go, you know what? I want to depart from this world like that man did. I'd like to finish my course. I'd like to fight a good fight. I'd like to do all that I can with the energy and the health and the body and the life and the mind that God gave me. I'd like to finish that way. But as you look at the Apostle Paul, let me just say this. Not everybody has to be Paul. Let me say it again. As much as I appreciate and I admire the Apostle Paul, we're not all going to be the Apostle Paul. God has made every one of us individuals, and as individuals, sometimes the role that we have is not necessarily to be the Apostle Paul. As you look at his life and you look at his legacy, it's evident that God used people to make the Apostle Paul who he was. Right after he gets saved in Acts chapter number 9, uh, the Bible speaks of a man named Ananias that lays his hands on him and prays for him, and he recovers his sight again. And that's the first encounter he has with a Christian after salvation. That is a good picture of discipleship. Right after somebody gets saved, you help them along, and you be a blessing to them. The Apostle Paul, from the very beginning of his ministry, has somebody there to help him along. He does not become who he is without other believers. Are you with me this morning? If we're going to talk about influence, however, I, I mentioned this a second ago. We're starting off talking about the Apostle Paul because of his labor in missions and the great missionary trips that he took and the encounters that he had and the sufferings that he endured and, and how he says, I, want, I fought a good fight and I finished my course. And he says all these things and we look at that and we go, man, that is a great example. What a great pattern for a missionary. And, and as a, a, someone that has a heart for missions, having been a missionary myself, and, and let me just tell you, I don't know that I make as much of a distinction. I, I, I don't want to call myself a missionary because I'm an American in America. But I'll tell you this, everywhere you go is a mission field. And I've learned that, you know what, the problems that people have in America are the problems that sinners have in South Africa because we're all made of the same stuff. We're all flesh. Amen. And as, as a, if, if I can loosely use this term, as a missionary to my own people, I look at the Apostle Paul and I say, man, I want to live a life like that man. But I realize, as I consider it, the Apostle Paul was greatly influenced by somebody Somebody who sits back in the shadows and is not always in the limelight. Somebody named Barnabas. 
And as much as I can elevate and I can admire and I can, I can look at the Apostle Paul and I can say, man, what a great man. I'd like to point to you a man named Barnabas. And I believe that Barnabas was the man behind the greatest missionary the church has ever had. And I'd like to preach to you about that this morning. Barnabas does not get mentioned in the same light, but without Barnabas, you don't have Paul. Can I say this? Not everybody here is going to leave Potch and go somewhere else. Not everybody here is going to leave South Africa and go somewhere else. I'm thankful for those that do. But understand, if God doesn't call you to go somewhere else, you are not less of a Christian. You're not less important. You have a part in all of this still. And what I'd like to say this morning is simply this. We don't just need some more Pauls. We need some more Barnabases in our churches. And I believe if you want to get as a church, you, your desire, I believe you're, 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 you're taking a weekend of your lives to focus on worldwide missions. I assume that means you care about worldwide missions. I assume that means you want to have a part in worldwide missions. And that part does not always mean that you're the one to go. Not everybody's going to be Paul. We do need some Barnabases. I want to ask you a question. Over there in the Gospel of Mark, you may remember this. There's a, a story about a man who's sick of the palsy and he can't get off of his bed. And, and, and there's, there's some men that bring that man to the house where Jesus is at. And, but the house is so full, they can't go in the house. Isn't it great? Uh, your, your pastor was showing me that when you first started, the church first started, you started in the writing stables over there. And he showed me that, man, at a certain point we had so many people that were flowing out of the building. That's a great problem to have. That's a wonderful problem to have. Uh, a couple Sundays ago, our, our, one of my deacons came to me and goes, Preacher, I don't know if we have enough spaces for everybody. I said, praise God. And he's looking at me going, well, what do I do about it? I'm like, I don't know. You're the deacon. You figure it out, man. <laughs> I, I got to preach. That's all I know. I'm a preacher, and you figure out where everybody sits. But these men, they come to the house, and they can't get inside. They can't make it to Jesus because of the crowd. So what do those men do? You know the story. They climb up to the top of the house with the men. Have you ever thought about this? There's no elevators. There's no escalators. How do you get a man in a house over in the Middle East, how do you get a man that's on a bed? Can you imagine what that must have looked like? Can you imagine some people inside the house listening to Jesus? Have you ever been listening to a sermon and all of a sudden you see something going off on the side? You know, I've, I've had that before in our church. You know, I've had some strange things happen in our church. Weird things happen in America, amen. <laughs> I had one lady come in and she, you know, sits down. I mean, a poor lady. I felt bad. She wasn't all there. She sits down, cross-legged, on a seat, takes a soda can, pop, pulls out her french fries. I'm like, where are we at? <laughs> I thought we were at church, you know. But, but there's, there's strange things that happen at church. And, and can you imagine Jesus... The greatest preacher that ever was. Yeah. You know, this, this helps me as a preacher sometimes. This ought to help you, Pastor Mike. When the greatest preacher that ever was has distractions going on in his church service, it's okay. Amen? That means it's okay. <laughs> He's got four men that are climbing a wall, and they're trying to get this layman on top. And then they get up there. They break the roof up. <laughs> I've often thought to myself, if you're the homeowner of that house... <laughs> 
You know, everyone's like, man, praise God for the four men that broke through the roof and praise God for their faith. And if I'm the owner of the house, I'm like, hey, keep your faith somewhere else. <laughs> you know what I mean? To fix that. Put that hole, put that patch rack in there. They broke that hole and they dropped that man down. Question for you. Jesus does not look at that man and say, great is your faith. That's not what he says, is it? He says, great was their faith. Now let me ask you another question. What were those men's names? How about uh, you got 5,000 men sitting there, not including the women and the children. They're all listening to Jesus. And, and, and Pastor Mike, if you get 5,000 people coming out to listen to you preach, that's an exciting thing, right? That's exciting stuff. And you get 5,000 people, and all of a sudden, everybody goes, man, we're hungry. And you're thinking, man, what do I go to feed these people? I, I tell you what, I, I think to myself, man, I, I would, that's when you really want Jesus to show up, amen? <laughs> Lord, we've got to feed all these people. You've got to figure this out. And you know the story. There's a young man. The Bible says in John chapter number 6, there was a young lad that had five loaves and two fishes. What was that young lad's name? <laughs> Who's the hero of the story? It's Jesus. So the young man doesn't, you don't, you don't get his name. What I'm getting at is this. Oftentimes, those that do amazing things. Listen, uh, there's a man that owns a donkey. And that man owns a donkey. We don't know what that man's name is, but we know that the disciples come and they ask of that man that the Lord use that donkey. Yeah. I, I, I have to tell you, the first thing I thought of when I was putting this message together was, buy a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus didn't have to buy a donkey. He didn't have to do that. See, I'm, I'm, get, I'm picking it up. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. <laughs> We don't know their names because the central figure of the story is not those people, but rather Jesus. And I'll say it like this. Turn with me to Acts chapter 11 real quickly, if you would. The reason for that, and the reason that you see so much emphasis on Paul, and very little on Barnabas, is because Barnabas, Barnabas is okay with not being in the limelight. But without Barnabas, you don't have Paul. Acts chapter number 11, I want to prove this to you. Acts chapter number 11. And you know, many of you know the context here. This is where the church is gathering in Antioch and things are really exciting. And God is moving, historically, He's moving things from Jerusalem to Antioch. And, and so the brethren send uh, Barnabas... Uh, who's of the church of Jerusalem to see what's going on in Antioch. And I want you to look, if you would, at verse number 23. Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. But you know, the story doesn't stop there. Then, verse 25, departed Barnabas to Tarsus, for to seek Saul. And you know the rest of the story. Barnabas brings Saul, who becomes the great apostle Paul, back to Antioch. And that is the beginning of where Paul is truly integrated, if you will, 
into a local New Testament church and he worships with them for a year and then God moves Barnabas and Paul on a journey. Listen, back then there's no EFT, there's no debit cards, there's no wiring of funds. If you want to send a love offering, you send it by two men that go from one church to another. And so God uses Barnabas to get Paul into that church and to get him grounded and eventually sends him out from that place on that trip and brings him back. And you know in Acts 13, they go on a missions trip together and Paul is never the same after that. It all goes back to a man named Barnabas. But I tell you what, Barnabas' story begins before Acts 11. Go to Acts chapter number 4. Acts chapter number 4. I want to talk to you again about the man behind the greatest missionary. I mentioned last night we need some people to hold the ropes. And many of you might be exactly that. God may not call you to leave this place. For those who God touches for that special calling, uh, that's a very special thing. We thank God for that. I'm not downplaying that at all. I'm simply saying not everybody is going to be called to leave. And for those of you that are not called to leave, what I want you to think about is, can I be a little bit more like Barnabas? Can I hold the ropes? Can I maybe be a part of helping, make the ne- helping to make the next Apostle Paul? Acts chapter number 4. Look, if you would, at verse number 33. Acts 4, verse number 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down to the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let me just say this first off. The man behind the greatest missionary let go of his own identity to meet a need. He let go of his own identity to meet a need. You say, what's his identity? You'll look in the passage right there in verse number uh, 36. And the Bible says that he was a Levite. Listen, his position as in the Old Testament was very important. You learn that from reading uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. The Levites were very important in the service of God. For Barnabas to say, you know what, I'm a Levite and now I'm joining the Christians and I start at the bottom. Has anybody ever had a job in a company where they grew in that company and then you took another job and you started all over somewhere over here? Listen, that's what, that's what Barnabas does. He's a Levite, then he becomes a Christian, and he's over here. He's a Levite, he's got this great position. Not only that, he's a Levite, but he has, as the Bible says, land. You see, his identity was tagged to two things, his position and his possessions. Do you know what he was willing to let go of to meet a need? His position and his possessions. If you're going to meet a need in worldwide missions, you're going to meet a need right here in this town. It's going to be because you are willing to let go of what people think of you and what you have. And you'll notice by the end of this passage, look what happens in in, uh, verse number uh, 36. The Bible says that uh, he was known by the apostles as what? The son of consolation. Listen. 
Well, your, your own identity in your own mind is what you think you are. What matters to God is the forming of your testimony, which is what you are in the sight of God. Martin Luther said this, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Uh, let me say it like this. Uh, young men, you're strong and you're vibrant. And, and I know this, when I was in my 20s, I thought I was Superman. I thought nothing could stop me. No, really, I did. In my mind, I could slam dunk in my mind. Not in real life. And as you get older, you know what you young men are going to realize as you get older? Amen, Pastor? You don't keep all of that. I just did a, a 50th a wedding anniversary ceremony for two people in their 70s at my church. And it was beautiful, you know, and, and they've been married for 50 years, and I got them to exchange their wedding vows again and talk about why they love each other. And then right behind me was a picture of them the day they got married the first time. And let me tell you, they were both good-looking people. Do you know what? You don't keep ladies forever. I know I'm going to tread on very, very dangerous waters here. I'm going to say it very carefully and very gently, but eventually wrinkles come and the white hair comes and everything you hold on to and think, man, this is what makes me beautiful, that fades. And, and, and all the possessions, let me tell you something, I come from a very, you know this, the United States of America is a wealthy country. And there are so many people, even Christians, who hold on to their possessions and they don't realize all that God wants to do with their life because they will not let go of the things that they have. Let me say it like this. God does not have a problem with you having stuff. God has a problem with stuff having you. For Barnabas to influence the Apostle Paul. Let me ask you this. We're in chapter 4 of the book of Acts. Is the Apostle Paul even saved yet? But God is working on Barnabas' life to get him where he needs to be so that seven chapters later he can help a man named Saul. You may look at what you're going through in discipleship. You may see yourself as maybe not being as important in the grand scheme of missions. But God is working in your life to get you to a place where eventually you can be a blessing to somebody else. And maybe that person is the next Apostle Paul. Jim Elliott said this, great missionary, a man is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Barnabas saw a need and he saw an opportunity. Let me ask you a question. Who told Barnabas that he had to give that money? Who said, Barnabas, we're taking up a collection and you've got to give your money? You know what Barnabas did? He saw a need. He saw an opportunity. He looked at his hands and he said, God, if this can be used for you, then I'll give it. Can I ask you a question? Moses over there in the Old Testament, when he's walking around with that stick, and the, uh, by the way, that stick is his only friend. I mean, for 40 years, he's walking around that place, and I wonder sometimes if, you know, maybe, maybe he grabbed that stick, and he's just walking through the desert, and he's going, you're a good stick. You've been with me for all these, I mean, I mean he's got nobody else to talk to. The Bible says in Exodus 4, he's not just in the desert. Watch the King James language. He's on the backside 
of the desert. Listen, if you can find the backside of the desert, your Google Maps doesn't work there. That's where he's at. All he has for all those years is that staff with him. And one day God says, hey Moses, I want to make a great leader out of you. Moses is like, really me? Yeah, you. There's some things I want to do in your life. But let's start with this. Moses, throw down your rod. Well, Lord, I, I don't see why this matters to what we're talking about. God, why does this matter to worldwide missions? It's my rod, and I mean, I mean, we can talk about anything else. We can use anything else. And besides, it's just a stick, God. Why would you want this? No, just, Moses, just, just shut up for a second and throw down the stick. I say this to, the, to our church people in America. It's amazing how well people train their dogs, and sometimes they don't train their kids that well. Amen? <laughs> come here. Roll over, you know, and the dog does it, and you tell the kid to come, and they run the other way, you know, and... And here's the Lord talking to, to Moses. He goes, all right, Moses, throw down the stick. Okay, Mo, throw down. You got this. You got Throw down the stick. Okay, all right. And he throws it down. And you know the story. It becomes a serpent. He grabs it and it becomes a rod again. You say, what is that? That's the beginning of the miracles that God uses in Moses' life to go and liberate the people of Israel. You see, the things that you look at and you think are insignificant, they're not. Over there... In the Gospel of Mark, there's a woman that sits at the feet of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that the disciples, starting with Judas Iscariot, they say, to what purpose is this waste? There may be some people that look at what you do for God, and they may call it a waste. And you go, Lord, I, all I know is this is who I used to think that I was, and as, as I continue to walk with you, you're changing me, and I'm, I'm letting go of who I thought I was, and Lord, I'm letting go of the things that have been holding on to me, and I, as I continue to do that, people think I'm weird. People think I'm crazy. I mean, why would you ever want to live in a place that gets to be 40 degrees below zero? Nobody told Mary that she had to sit at the feet of Jesus and anoint him. She did it because she could. Nobody told Barnabas he had to sell that land and give it the money to God. He just did it because he could. I come home some days and my wife has been uh, talking with me through uh, video chatting type stuff. And she goes, you know, I didn't realize how much you do until you're not here. And I said, yeah, baby, I know. <laughs> She goes, I really miss you. I'm, and she goes, I'm really glad you're going. I'm so glad you're there. So thankful for what God's doing through this trip. And, and you be a blessing to them. I'll pray for your preaching. And, but I really miss you. And, and, you know, I'm realizing all the chores you do. And I'm going, yep. <laughs> I get the video camera. And I'm, just, I'm just stretching, you know. And <laughs> when I come home from work, Oftentimes, my kids will tell me, Dad, I took out the trash. And I've got one of my kids right here. She knows exactly where I'm going with this. And, and I, oh, okay, I didn't ask them to take out the trash. They, I, get, I come home, Dad, I took out the trash for you. And when I find out what that actually means in the original languages is, Dad, I threw it in the garage. You now have to take the bag and throw it in the can. <laughs> I think sometimes, when it comes to our possessions, we're willing to take them to the garage, but we're not willing to take them all the way out 
Barnabas let go of his identity to meet a need. My question this morning is, are we willing to do that? Is there a need that you can see that God may want you to fill? It starts with allowing you to change your... They say, Lord, you can change my identity. And God, here you can have my stuff. I want to fill that need. Go with me to Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter number 9. Now, I promise I'm not going to preach long. You say, why? Because I've eaten so much, I don't know if I can just... I, if I can breathe anymore. But I, I want to get through a couple of things uh, this afternoon that I hope will be a blessing to you. Number one, he was willing to let go of his identity to meet a need. Number two, he took a chance on somebody that nobody else would take a chance on. Look at Acts chapter number 9. Look, if you would, at verse number 26. We talked a little bit about risk last night as it comes to missions. Let me say this, as it relates to discipleship and bringing other Christians along within the assembly and helping them get grounded and getting behind some new converts you're going to have to take some chances there as well. And let me say this, whatever chances you have to take, they're probably not on the same level as the Apostle Barnabas. You see, what Barnabas did, look if you were to Acts chapter number 9 in verse number 26. The Bible says, when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. In other words, he wants to be a part of their group. Have you ever been somewhere and you just want to be a part of the group and you feel like you don't fit in? You feel like they make fun of you because you can't say their names right? <laughs> I think we should have an invitation right now. Just as... Paul's on the outside looking in. And he wants to be a part of what God is doing in the church. I don't know if anybody here has a little sibling, but, you know, my older girls, they, they, her, Ariana and Isabel, they're very, very close. Two years apart. And, and, but their younger sister is uh, almost 10 years younger than Ariana. She's 8 and Ariana's 17. And, and so there's times when the two older ones just want to have some of their, you know, girl time, you know, and talk about makeup and I don't know, whatever. I don't know, whatever it is that they talk about, right? And, and, uh, and, and, and so Emma comes along and she goes, I want to hang out. And you know what they do sometimes? Like, okay, fine. <laughs> Listen, when the Apostle Paul got to Jerusalem and he's like, Hey guys, I'm a Christian now. They're like, okay, if you're a Christian, say Pachastru. And he can't say it right, so he doesn't get in the circle. So he's on the outside looking in and he desires to be a part of that group and nobody gives him a chance. Except for one. Barnabas. Look, if you would, at verse number 26, they were all afraid of him, believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him. Aren't you glad for Barnabas? Listen, guys, I'm going to tell you, I can't emphasize this enough. Without Barnabas, you don't have Paul. But Barnabas took him and brought him the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way they had spoken to him and had preached uh, boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out of Jerusalem. After Barnabas, Paul is brought in. He becomes part of that group. But that took some risk on the part of, of, of Barnabas. That was not something that came easy. He had to take a chance on somebody. You're going to have to take a chance on some people. 
And as you witness them, as you bring them into the congregation, understand who you're talking to and who you're ministering to. Look, we've had some people come to our church that come from some rough backgrounds. I mean, some folks that have been in jail and things like that and, and just rough backgrounds. And, and I say to my men, listen, you have no idea. There's a man right now named Felix in my church, and he comes from a rough background. And, and I'll tell you what, I watched that man in the last month shed a tear in church. And I watched that man get baptized. You have to baptize him. And, and in our church, we don't have a baptistry. We just use the big horse trough. And this guy is about this tall. And you see how tall I am. And I went to baptize him. And I tell you what, I have never prayed so hard. God, help me get this man back out of the water. <laughs> I put him down. The water went everywhere, you know. And, and it was almost like everybody got more excited when the water went everywhere. I thought, I should do that more often. Just take people and... <laughs> the name of Jesus come down and but I watched, I've watched Felix shed a tear I've watched him cry I've watched him get down and come to an altar I've watched him open his Bible and, and teach his kids the word of God and, and just see what God is doing in his life come from a rough background listen you've got to take a chance on some people Barnabas did I would say it like this the love of Christ constraineth us over on the eastern part of my country in New England, they get some storms in that, that New England Atlantic coast, and those storms can be very, very fierce. And as you know, we've got a, the Coast Guard out there, and, and uh, one of the young men that was on a Coast Guard rescue crew, uh, one night one of those storms blew in off the Atlantic, and they got fierce, and they got word that there was another boat that was still out at sea, and it was a, a, a charter boat, and they, some people that were there on, on a tour, and as a result, the Coast Guard was called, and so they get the boats, and they start moving out toward the water, and one of the young men simply says this, we can't go out there. We'll never come back. The old captain replied with this, we have to go out. We don't have to come back. See, what is that? Taking a risk on some people. Can I, can I show you here in Acts chapter number 11? Uh, can, I, I, can I show you what happens because of what he does? Look with me if you would at Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number, I'm sorry, Acts chapter number 9. We're in the right place already. I just want to make sure, I, I just want to make sure you guys know where we're supposed to be, okay? Acts chapter number 9, I want you to notice that they talk about preaching boldly in the name of Jesus what Paul does I want you to notice as well look if you would at verse number 31 then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost Barnabas was able to turn comfort to courage he was able to turn comfort to rest excuse me uh, trouble uh, uh, comfort he was uh, uh, taking trouble they were troubled and they were concerned. He took that fear and turned it into courage. He took that fear and turned it into comfort. You say, how did he do that? By taking someone that everybody was afraid of, bringing them in the church and going, this guy's the real deal. Let's help this guy out. And because of what he did, the apostles are able to receive rest and comfort and courage and boldness. In 1992, that was a year that I got saved. In 1992, that was a year that my church, the, the founding pastor of Gideon Baptist Church in Fountain, Colorado, the old preacher was leaving and a new one was coming. And the new one that was coming was a man named Billy Haas. 
and he went to, to PBI, not the one here in Potch, the one in, in Florida. He went to PBI, and, and, uh, and because of the influence that that man had in my life, I am here today. But let me tell you how that story started. In 1992, when um, uh, Brother Billy Haas came to my church, there was a board at our church that oversaw who could go to camp and who wouldn't go to camp. I have no idea why you had that. It made no sense whatsoever, but it was there. And within the first week that he's there, uh, I, my parents had signed me up to go to this camp, and they said, not that kid. You say, why? I was a trouble kid. I, was, I wasn't always as, as good as I am now. They said, not that kid. And Billy Haas said, uh, no, he's going to go. I want him to go, and I want him to hear about Jesus. And the, 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 the board says, well, the board didn't decide that. Brother Haas says, that's okay. We don't need a board anymore. Board is done. End of the board. You see what happened? I went to summer camp that summer, and I got saved. Can I say this? Within one week of his ministry as the new pastor of the church, he took a big risk. I'd like to think when we get to glory, I can put my arm around his shoulder and say, thanks, preacher. Can I say this? Look with me, if you would, at Acts 11. Let's go there now. Acts chapter 11. Can I say he had vision for what mattered? Look at Acts chapter number 11. He had vision for what mattered. Acts chapter number 11. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 23. When he, had, when he came... And had seen the grace of God. Now, let me ask you a question. How can you see the grace of God? How do you see the grace of God? I'll tell you how you see the grace of God. You see the grace of God through the lives of other people. And you know what, what Barnabas says? He walks into that church and he goes, man, look at their spirit. Look at their fervor. God is doing something here. Let me tell you something. I came in here this weekend not knowing, I've never met any of you before. You've been hospitable. You've been gracious. You've been loving. You've been kind. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I've come in and I can tell you, I have seen the grace of God here. And it is a blessing. But I'll tell you what that shows about Barnabas. He had a vision for what mattered. Barnabas did not just think about his own life. He walks in and he goes, man, God is doing something here. And his vision brought gladness in the church. Look, if you would, at verse number 23. And when he came and seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all. There was gladness that came as a result of that vision. Not only gladness, but it led him to action. He exhorted the believers that were there, and many were added to the Lord. And look at verse 25. That is when he realizes, you know what? I know somebody that ought to be a part of this right now. And let me just say this. It's not just about winning the lost. It's about winning our own believers after they've gone astray. It's about getting the believers who've not been grounded in a disciple. I've talked to so many of you here that told me, you know what, I got saved somewhere else, but I had no idea what the Bible meant. It didn't make any sense to me. I didn't really have fellowship with the Lord. I would read the Bible. I'd go to church, and i go, that doesn't make any sense at all. And then I came here, and I got grounded in the Word of God. Aren't you glad for that? You say, what is that? That is exactly what Barnabas did with Paul. He says, you know what? There's something going on in this church. I can't just leave it like this. I've got to go find that one guy. Think about this. That would cost a lot of money and time for Barnabas. You know what nobody wants to do? 
Nobody wants to leave a place of revival. Hey, listen, if you ask me right now, preacher, would you prefer to be at a revival where God is moving, or would you prefer to just go find some guy that nobody wants to be around? Is there another choice, Lord? (laughs) Barnabas leaves that place, and he goes, and he seeks Paul. And it costs him great expense to do so. And I want to show you something, if you would. Look, if you would, in chapter number 13. Barnabas was resolved. Listen, some of you may not go to the mission field, but man, you can be resolved to get some people into this place that need the Word of God in their lives. You say, okay, uh, for missions, I can pray for our missionaries. I I can give money. Uh, I can go on a missions trip. Uh, Maybe God wants me to go. Hey, I'll tell you what else you can do. You can edify the believers right here. Listen, if this is home base and you're sending somebody out and this does not stay strong, that out there will not stay strong either. They need, they are going to need to know that this church is thriving and growing and adding to the church daily such as should be saved. That doesn't happen unless we all do our part. You know what Barnabas is resolved to do? He's resolved simply to bring somebody to church. I tell my church all the time, never underestimate the invitation to a church service. You may go, I haven't led them to Christ, but I tried inviting them. Keep inviting them. Listen, I can tell you this. A man came to my house in 2010. And in 2010, a man came to my house to install cable in my home. His name is Ambrosio Feliciano. I can say that, no problem. (laughs) But he goes by Lou. You can do Lou. And he comes to my, and he's talking to my wife, and he says, you know, uh, you say your husband's a, a pastor? Yeah. How much do you think he would charge for marriage counseling? My wife says, oh, it won't cost anything. You just, I'd be glad to have you talk with him. And I, I could have slapped my wife. I said, honey, that's when you say $1,000 an hour. <laughs> you know how much we could do for God with that money? <laughs> she said, it won't cost anything. You just, just, just talk to him. Come to church. Come, 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 come visit our church. One Sunday, we only had maybe 20, we had just started, maybe the 20 people and in comes this couple. And I could look, and without knowing a whole lot about them, I could tell there was, there was trouble there. Trouble there. About two months later, I got to open up a Bible and show Lou and Julie what it means to be born again. And Lou and Julie got saved. You see what happened after that? They invited their parents he invited his parents, his mom and his stepdad to come to church and their whole entire lives. You've got to understand, most of Latin America is Catholic and most of them, it's very similar to some of the stories I've heard from you. They go to church, the priest gets up, he, get, he says certain things, you know, fee-fi-fo-fum, and they, they, they go, okay, that, that's it. That, that's all that I get. I don't understand anything, but I came to church, check. I check the box, I go home, my life never changes, I don't know Jesus, but I at least went to church. They're good people, they're trying, but they don't have the truth. And Elvin and Rosa came to church, and and I'll never forget, Elvin is one of the sweetest men that I know, and and, (laughs) 
I, I'll give you a great story about Elvin. One time we had a men's retreat and we're all sitting around. This is after Elvin got saved and, and he's reading his Bible for the first time all the way through. And he's got this uh, a real thick Spanish accent. He talks very fast. Uh, preacher, preacher, uh, uh, how do you say, uh, I had this word in the Bible and uh, uh, you know what I mean, you know what I mean? Just like that. People, when he talks Spanish, still don't understand him. If they speak Spanish, they're like, what is he saying? He just talks like that real fast. And we're sitting around the campfire, and he goes, Preacher, I, I got this word in the Bible, and I'm not sure what it means. And, you know, I'm a preacher, so I'm like, hey, man, whatever question you've got. <laughs> I said, what's the word? He goes, uh, concu- concubine? I said, brother, we'll, we'll answer that some other time. <laughs> One of those questions you can answer a separate time, right, Preacher? Elvin. And Rosa come to me at a, after a church service one Sunday. They say, Preacher, we're not saved. And, and Lou and Julie, they got saved. And we don't know what that means, but we think it's good. What does that mean? Well, we're at the Bible. They get saved. Their daughter, Lou's sister, Arlene, every church needs an Arlene. That's what I say. She's crazy. She's wonderful. She comes up to me. She's from New York City. And she comes up to me at the church one day, and she goes, Preacher, I want to do that thing. (laughs) I don't know what she's talking about. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, that that saved thing. Open up the Bible and show her how to be saved. She gets saved. At the time, she's got one son. Now she has three. Her, two, her, her middle son is five, six years old, six years old. He just got saved about three weeks ago. Three generations of saved people in our church just because somebody was invited to church. Acts chapter 13, as we round this out. You know the story. For those that have read their Bibles... This is the first missionary trip. And they go out, and they are sent out by the church of Antioch. That's why you have ordination. You say, what do they do? They lay their hands on them, Acts 13, verse 3, and send them away. Very, very thankful and honored to be a part of the ordination of Brother Vensel tomorrow. And that's what they do. They ordain Paul and Barnabas, and they send them out. But I want to show you something. Uh, Look, if you would, at uh, verse number 2 of Acts 13. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me who? Barnabas and Saul. Is that what it says? Uh, look at verse number 7. It mentions a man named Sergius Paulus who called for who? Did you notice it? it's Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas is first and Saul is second? Now watch verse number 9. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him, and he preaches to that man, Elimus the sorcerer. Then in verse number 16, the Bible says that Paul stood up. Then look at verse number 43. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed who? Can I say this? The man behind the greatest missionary was willing to be second. Yeah. 
I can bring you along right now. I can help you along. I can, I can, I can, I'll be number one for a time. But when God is ready and he makes you number one, I'm okay with being number two. We can't all be Paul. The question is, is can you be second? The Bible talks about a man named Diotrephes who loved to have the preeminence. The Bible says in Colossians that Christ would have the preeminence. We need to be okay with being number two. I want to close with this thought. Look, if you would, at Acts chapter number 15. At the end of chapter 13, I'm just trying to give you a lot of Bible very quickly. At the end of chapter 13, Mark, John Mark, which is the nephew of Barnabas, he decides he's going to go back home to Jerusalem. It was a lot of transition, and maybe here's what happened to John Mark. Maybe John Mark was excited about missions. Maybe John Mark had, had seen the pictures and, and seen the, the slideshow presentation, and he says, man, I really want to go. And then when he saw it wasn't all fun and games, and there was adversity, it really affected him. And he missed home when he went home. Some of you would say, well, that's the end of John Mark. Well, not exactly. Here's what happens in chapter 15. The Bible, for those of you that are familiar with it, you will know this. At the end of chapter number 15, Paul and Barnabas, look if you would at verse 37 and verse 38 and verse 39. The contention was so sharp between them, they departed asunder one from the other. Paul goes this way and Barnabas this way. And I always, every time I get to Acts... Have you ever read your Bible and you just wish it would the story would change? Like I read Samson and I'm like, dude, no, she's a bad woman. <laughs> you know, if you really loved me, you would tell me your secrets. <laughs> and like I see this slow motion, I want to grab the scissors out of her hand and say, wake up. But it's not going to change. And every time I read Acts chapter 15, I go, man, I wish they wouldn't have split. But at the same time, here's what happens. Paul goes his way. Barnabas goes his way. And Barnabas takes John Mark under his wing because that's what Barnabases do. We started in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to end there. Let's go there real quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 4. He didn't stop when conflict arose, he kept going on for the Lord. Now, you don't read a lot about Barnabas after Acts 15. You know what happens? He just goes silently in the shadows, continuing to serve the Lord. For the rest of the book of Acts, you learn a lot about Paul's ministry. And you might be tempted to think, oh, God's done with Barnabas right there and then. Far from the truth. What Barnabas does is he takes John Mark under his wing. He says, look, God's not done with you. And maybe with a tear coming down his face, he remembers the day when he goes to Tarsus to seek out Saul. And Saul says, I don't think I can go back. They don't want me. And Barnabas looks at Saul and says, God's not done with you. And years later, you fast forward to Barnabas again, grabbing John Mark, his nephew, and saying, look, it was in your house that Peter was brought after he broke out of prison. It was in your house that the word of God was brought after the resurrection of Jesus because John Mark's mother was one of the Marys that was there. It was in your house that these things happened. You've been given some great stuff. Don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. That's what Barnabas's do. What happens at the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Look, if you would, at verse 10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Christian, 
Don't fall in love with this world. It's here and it's gone. Young people, listen to me. I understand that getting a job right now is tough. That's what everyone's telling me. Higher unemployment, I get all that, but never put a job or your, or your money or your career or your possessions above the Lord. You say, what is that? That's having loved this present world. Demas forsook Paul at the end of Paul's life, but can I tell you, Demas is noted as being a commendable apostle, uh, a commendable disciple. He's one of the ones at the end of Colossians that says, hey, you know what? Demas says hello to the other Christians that are there. He promotes Demas. He says he's a good man. And at the end of his life, he quits. But I want you to notice somebody else that's listed in here. Verse number 11. Only Luke is with me. What are the next two words? And bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. You say, who is that? That's John Mark. That's the guy that Paul says, okay, I'm leaving that guy. You know what had happened for the last few years? Barnabas had taken John Mark under his wing. And he got him back into serving God. And at the end of the, the one greatest missionary maybe that ever lived outside of Jesus Christ himself. I would say Jesus is the greatest missionary, amen? He gave up the most. He traveled the farthest. I mean, he's the greatest missionary. But second to him, the Apostle Paul. At the end of that man's life, at the end of the Apostle Paul's life, the greatest missionary outside of Jesus Christ, he says this, bring John Mark. You know what? That's his way of saying He's saluting Barnabas, saying, you know what? Uh, Barnabas, thank you for not quitting on me. And thank you for not quitting on John Mark. Because now he is profitable to me for the ministry's sake. You say, why do we know this? Because Barnabas didn't stop when trouble came his way. Not everybody is going to be the Apostle Paul. But I can say this. You can be a Barnabas. And you can change the face of worldwide missions by touching one person's life. Every head bowed and every eye closed, preacher. Let's all stand. music play softly you heard some excellent stuff this morning this afternoon excellent stuff can you be a Barnabas we recently started this new discipleship program I've had you guys sending me updates for the last two weeks. I would love to read those updates for you. I think you would be impressed. You would be impressed with how many Barnabases we have in this congregation. You don't realize it, but some of you, the people you're discipling, have sent me messages and said, Pastor, thank you so much for pairing me up with that person. It's changed my life. You say, but I, didn't, I don't think I can teach the Bible all that well, and I think somebody else is better qualified. Do you care? 
Barnabas was called the son of consolation. He cared about people. If you care about changing somebody's life for Christ, then you're the makings of a Barnabas. We have a couple folks praying. I'll let you, you do as the Spirit of God leads you. If you want to come forward and pray, you're welcome to. I'm, I'm going to close in prayer in just a minute here, but I, I want to ask, is somebody here today, we're not looking around, nobody's watching this, this is private, but I want to ask you, if you died today, and I hope you don't, but if you died today, are you 100% sure that you'd go to heaven? Are you 100% sure? If you are not 100% sure, I would like to ask you if I can pray for you. All, all I'm asking you to do, you can just slip your hand up, you can put it right back down, no one's looking at it. I just want to know who I'm praying for. Say, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure that if I died, I'd go to heaven. Anybody like that? Just slip your hand up, you can put it right back down. I'd just like to know if, I, if anybody needs that kind of prayer. Thank you, I appreciate that. I see your hand. Anybody else? Preacher, pray for me. If I died today, thank you. I appreciate your honesty, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you. I can give it to you in 10 seconds. You've sinned and broken God's law. You owe Him a debt, and that debt is death. Jesus died for you. He paid the debt, paid for your sins. You can receive what He did as a free gift and have eternal life. Now, now that's it in a nutshell. If you'd like to know more about it, as soon as we're done, you come find me. You come find the preacher, the, the man who preached today. We'll be happy to help you with that. Father, thank you. What a wonderful day you've given us. Oh, God. I love getting to spend time around you and your people. Lord, thank you what a, all the effort and work and labor and toil that went into this day. I believe you have made it well worth it. Thank you for blessing us with your presence. And I pray you'd raise up more and more Barnabases among us. God, help us to care. We had, Lord, you saw these hands that went up. You know their hearts. Please, God, before they go home today, Lord, please save their souls. Please, God, save their souls. Lord, we ask that you continue to meet with us and speak to us all throughout tomorrow. We can't wait to see what comes next. Thank you for this good day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.